Well, we're going to invite the Hebron Choir now to come and minister to us. We're going to sing three pieces at this time. And we're especially, as I've said in the introduction, delighted to have you tonight. And thank you, Sister Sylvia, for taking the booking. All right. God bless you. Thank you. Yeah. 
just read to you a few verses from Psalm 146. If you have your Bible, that's great. If you don't, just listen. Psalm 146. The last five Psalms of the Psalter start and end the same way. It starts with the words, praise ye the Lord. And every Psalm in the last five ends with praise ye the Lord. There's a tremendous lesson there. I'm not going to preach on it tonight, but these are known as the Hallelujah Psalms. And what a striking word that word Hallelujah is. Let's read together Psalm 46. Praise ye the Lord. Praise the Lord, O my soul. While I live, will I praise the Lord. I will sing praises unto my God while I have my being. Put not your trust in princes, nor in the Son of Man, in whom there is no help. His breath goeth forth, he returneth to his earth. In that very day his thoughts perish. Happy is he that hath the God of Jacob for his help, whose hope is in the Lord his God, which made heaven and earth, the sea, and all that therein is, which keepeth truth forever which executeth judgment for the oppressed, which giveth food to the hungry. The Lord looseth the prisoners. The Lord openeth the eyes of the blind. The Lord raiseth them that are bowed down. The Lord loveth the righteous. The Lord preserveth the strangers. He relieveth the fatherless and widow. But the way of the wicked he turneth upside down. The Lord shall reign forever. Even thy God, O Zion, unto all generations, praise ye the Lord. And I just want to encourage you, when you get up in the morning, praise the Lord. And when you go to bed at night, praise the Lord. And if you've had the bad day, the worst day imaginable that you could ever think of, and everything's gone wrong and your wee world has fallen in apart, you know what you should do? Get down on your knees and praise the Lord for who he is and what he's like and what he's done. And you will be encouraged and you'll have a smile on your face. Now we're also delighted tonight to have the kingdom heirs, no stranger to us. And we're going to ask them and they're going to come and minister two pieces now. Thank you. Savior God to thee 
shall come with shout of acclamation and take me home what joy shall fill my heart then I shall part with humble adoration and there proclaim my God my great the war then sings my soul my Savior God to thee how great the Today's date actually marks a year since we moved into this building. How quickly time passes by. Just two weeks ago, with the funeral service here of our late sister, Elsie Scott, Mrs. Elsie Scott, and she requested the different pieces that were to be sung at her funeral. And we had the burial over in Balhagan Church, and round the grave, uh, the piece was sung, It Is Well With My Soul. And whenever I heard that piece been sung, I just thought that's the second piece we want to sing here this evening. And it's the words, it is well.
First Thessalonians chapter 5. Thinking about advice. Listen to this advice from the scriptures. First Corinthians chapter 5. Or sorry, First Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 16. Rejoice evermore. Pray without ceasing. In everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. Quench not the spirit. Despise not prophesyings. That's preaching. Prove all things. Hold fast that which is good. Abstain from all appearance of evil. And the very God of peace sanctify you wholly. And I pray God your whole spirit and soul and body be preserved blameless unto the coming of our Lord Jesus. Faithful is he that calleth you. Who also will do it. Brethren, pray for us. Our sister Ruth now will minister to us one piece in soul. Thank you.
delighted, as I've said, to have the Hebron Choir, and they're going to come now and sing two further pieces to us. We're really indebted to you for coming all the way up from Ballymoney on such a wet evening.
ministry.
Now, we're especially delighted to have uh, Reverend David McMillan with us, uh, again, a colleague in the ministry, a dear personal friend. As I've said, he was converted many years ago in the wee schoolhouse here, uh, long before we opened this building. And uh, the Lord has blessed him in his ministry in Armagh and other places. Uh, the Lord also has been with us, the Lord's servant, and that he, he kept him alive, even in the midst of ill health. And we're really delighted that he's here tonight, and he's going to come and sing to us, and then he's going to bring a wee short message. Thank you. Look, I'm very glad to be with you tonight. I was very disappointed uh, not to be able to be here last year uh, for the special opening of the new church building, having had the long association with uh, the congregation here, but I was in the early stages of uh, my recovery after the double heart bypass operation that we had at that time and you certainly were all very much in our thoughts and prayers and we were delighted to hear the tremendous reports of uh, the great opening service uh, that was held here uh, on, on that occasion. I'm very thankful to you all for your prayers. I take the opportunity to, uh, to thank you tonight uh, for remembering us so faithfully uh, at that particular time and uh, the doctors are very well pleased with the recovery that we've made. I'm very encouraged that the Lord still has a wee work for me uh, to do. Very interesting some of the things that people say to you. Uh, maybe you've had experiences like that as well when you're recovering from illness. A lot of people say to me, we're surprised you look so normal. <laughs> so I don't know what that meant or what they thought, 
maybe there was a time they thought I didn't look so normal. Another thing that people said was, uh, did you see the pearly gates? Uh, I had cardiac arrest. I was out for a little while. Took three shocks of the defibrillator before they got me going again. Uh, I didn't see the pearly gates. Uh, some people would be worried about that. <laughs> I was talking to Mr. Douglas about that. Uh, he said you were close, but just not that close. <laughs> so I thought that was as good an answer as Amen. you could give to that. I'm going to sing a wee piece to you about the pearly gates. Yes. He the pearly gates will open. Lord. Someday I will see the pearly gates. Yes. I will enter in through them. And uh, that's my prospect, and we pray it might be your prospect uh, as well for eternity. Thank you, Barbara.
Jesus, I shall enter heaven's gate. The pearly gates will open so that I may enter in for a purchase my redemption and forgave me all my sin. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Mr. McLaughlin mentioned uh, that I was saved through the work here. Uh, I wasn't so keen in the way that he emphasized many, many years ago. It was 40 years past on the 7th of January uh, of this year. It was the 7th of January 1979, a Sabbath evening meeting in those days. Uh, there was an after meeting held here. Uh, folk would have come from their own churches. The first Sunday night of every year, Mr. Paisley uh, came out to the schoolhouse to preach, and he was the preacher that night uh, when I came to uh, the Saviour. So there's many memories of being here uh, with you at the service uh, this evening, many memories that uh, flood through our minds of those times and of the years and events that have uh, ensued uh, even since uh, that time. Uh, I learned to sing uh, Milking James Lowe's Cows, bringing in the cows from the field. I rode down this road. We grew up just a mile or so up the road here. I rode the bicycle down uh, to school and to Lowe's to milk the cows. They said they heard me before they seen me. I would have come down the road singing at the, the top of my voice. So that's how I got the good, strong voice uh, in those days. Just a wee verse I'm going to leave with you, folks. Uh, Exodus 14 and the verse 15. And I pray the Lord will speak to our hearts through this wee text tonight. Exodus chapter 14, the verse 15. The Lord said unto Moses, Wherefore criest thou unto me? Speak unto the children of Israel, that they go forward. So the words there, especially at the end of the verse, uh, I want to impress upon your hearts. Speak unto the children of Israel, that they go uh, forward. David Livingstone, the famous missionary to Africa, once said that he would go in any direction as long as it was forward. And brethren and sisters, that's the message I want with the Lord's help to impress upon all of your hearts uh, tonight to go forward in the things of God. The children of Israel had just come out of Egypt after 430 years of bondage. They were making their way across the wilderness. They came to the shores of the great Red Sea. The waters of that ocean were lapping at their feet and they looked behind them and to their horror uh, the armies of, of Egypt were fast pursuing after them. It was as if they were closed in, the sea before them, the army be behind them. But even in those very extreme circumstances, the Lord still had a word. The Lord still had a message for their hearts, and that message was to go on, to go forward, despite the very clear and obvious obstacle of the Red Sea that, that lay ahead. And brethren and sisters, I want you to know tonight 
Now, that is still God's word, and that is still God's command uh, to his people today. We'd like to say to the congregation here in Carried Off as they mark the first anniversary of entering into this beautiful new church building, that here's a word from the Lord to all of your hearts tonight. The Lord would want you to go forward. He would want you to go on in the work of the gospel. And that's what the Lord would say to every person here, whatever congregation, whatever church uh, you come from, you be in absolutely no doubt this is the Lord's word and this is the Lord's will to your heart uh, tonight as well. And what is true of a congregation collectively is also true of every Christian in the meeting tonight uh, personally. The Lord would say to you, each one of you, individually in your own Christian life, God wants you to go on. God wants you to go forward. And remember that that's a message that is emphasized in many places throughout the Scriptures. Think of Peter's words that brought us second epistle to a close that we're to grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Every farmer, gardener in the meeting knows if something's growing, it's developing, it's progressing, it's going forward. And brethren and sisters, that's what the Lord's looking for in your life. He's looking for growth. He's looking for progress. He's looking for that same development in grace and in your knowledge of your Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Think as well of Paul's words to the Corinthians, that great verse that brings uh, chapter 15 to a close, that we're always to be abounding in the work of the Lord. Can I ask you tonight, are you in the work? The Lord wants every Christian to be in the work of the gospel, and we're always to be abounding in that work. The idea of that word abounding is we're always to be going beyond where we've been before. There's none of us ever to think that we've arrived, that there's Nothing more for us to do. No more ground uh, for us uh, to possess. Those are just a couple of references. But there are many places in the Bible, brethren and sisters, where this clear message comes to our heart that the Lord wants us to go on and to, to go forward. So let me impress that upon your hearts tonight. God's will for every Christian, for every Christian church, is that you advance, that you progress, that you go forward in the things of God and in the great work of the gospel. We're not to mark time. Maybe well, that's what you have been doing in your own life, maybe for many years. If you think of a squad of soldiers on the parade ground, and they're marking time, there's a lot of noise, there's a lot of activity, sometimes there's a lot of dust being raised. But when they're marking time, they're not going anywhere. And that's just what many Christians in many churches are like. There's a lot of noise. It looks as if there's a lot of activity, but they're not going anywhere. They've never moved and haven't moved for a very long time. Mr. Sunday, the famous American evangelist, set forth the same idea only with the canary in the cage. Canary sitting on its perch, flapping its wings, and it's making a lot of noise, and there seems to be a, a lot of activity there. But the poor canary's not getting anywhere. And there's many Christians just like that. If that's you tonight, may the Lord speak to you. Stir up your heart. We're not to stand still, brethren and sisters. We're not to mark time. And it's certainly not God's will that we go back. Do you ever notice those solemn words that the Scriptures record of Saul, the first king of Israel? He's turned back from following after me. We generally describe such a person as a backslider. Maybe there's a backslider in the meeting tonight, a backslider in heart. On the outside, everything looks well. 
On the outside, everything just looks as it has looked, maybe for many years. But in your heart, you know that you're not right uh, with God. The reality, brethren and sisters, as the years go by, and particularly at a summertime, is we can slack off. We can get casual. We can get lazy. With all the discouragements, with all the difficulties that we have to face, and those things are increasing even more and more in the day in which we live, there's a temptation to quit. There's a temptation to take things a wee bit easier. There's a temptation to give up altogether in the Christian life and in the work of God. So that makes this a very timely instruction, a very timely word and command to all of our hearts tonight. Speak unto the children of Israel that they go forward. Let me just for a few minutes emphasize to you some areas of the Christian life that you should think about, that you should focus your thoughts and your heart upon as you think about going forward for God in your own life and in uh, the life and ministry of your church and your congregation. Think first of all of your supplications, how important that is, men and women, your prayer life. Robert Murray McShane, the great godly preacher of Scotland, once said, what a man is or what a woman is on their knees before God that they are and nothing more. The fact is that none of us spiritually are any greater than our prayer lives. And the reality, men and women, as we look out in the church and look out on our land is this. Prayerlessness is abroad. Prayerlessness. God forbid that I should sin against the Lord in ceasing to pray for you, Samuel said. And yet many have. And the only remedy, brethren and sisters, for that prayerlessness that is so rampant is to go forward in the place of prayer, to go forward in your own prayer life and in the prayer life of your congregation. You see, the fact is this. There's not a problem, and there's never been a problem. I've never met a pastor yet that has had a problem with people praying too much. The problem is we are not praying enough. We're not praying or giving the time to prayer uh, that we should. Can I encourage you to read Andrew Bonner's diary? published by the Banner of Truth. What a challenge it is devotionally. It'll be a great blessing, but it will be, it'll be the double-edged sword. It will be a great challenge uh, to your heart. As you read about his prayer life, at uh, the time that he devoted to seeking the Lord at the throne of grace. The fact is, brethren and sisters, and may the Lord touch your heart about this tonight, we can always pray more, give more time to the throne of grace. Do you remember the request of the disciples to the Lord Jesus? They said, Lord, teach us to pray. Notice carefully the words. They didn't say, Lord, teach us how to pray. And the Bible does do that. They didn't request, Lord, teach us what to pray. And again, there's many examples in the Scriptures of the requests and the petitions that we are to offer. The request that the disciples came to the Savior with that day was much more simple, basic, fundamental. It was the request, Lord, teach us to pray, just to wait before you, just to spend time at your feet. Teach us just to seek your face at the throne of grace and prayer. And how all-important, brethren and sisters, how all-important that request is for every child of God in this service uh, tonight. You think of the disciples in the Garden of Gethsemane, and they fell asleep. And the Savior came to them with that question, could ye not watch with me 
one hour. You think of that. Can I ask you, brethren and sisters, in all the years you've been a Christian, have you ever devoted one solid hour, one single hour, without a break, to seeking the Lord at the throne of grace? In this week that has passed, break it up even a little more, since last Lord's Day, if you were to sit down and just take account of the time you devoted to prayer since last Sunday, would it all amount to a prayer? Or, sorry, would it all amount to an hour? And think of the way that question's asked. The idea is that's the very least that's to be expected of any one of us. Could you not watch? Could you not pray? Could you not spend an hour on your knees before the Lord at the throne of grace? There's a great need, brethren and sisters, to go forward in our supplications. You ask me tonight, how do we do that? Well, one thing is come to the prayer meeting. Whatever church, whatever congregation you belong to or a member of, come to the prayer meeting. Prayer meetings are getting smaller. We're losing great prayer warriors been called home to heaven. Some places prayer meetings are dying off altogether. So there's a great need to strengthen the ranks of the prayer meetings of the church. In America many years ago, there was a famous uh, lawyer who became a judge, Judge Black, young man setting out in his career in law. He was given the opportunity to welcome the governor to their town when the governor was coming to pay a visit. The governor had to rearrange his plans come a different night. And they sent a little note to this young lad to rearrange his plans to be there on this alternative evening. He wrote back immediately and said, I'm very sorry. Can't be there that night because of a previous engagement. Do you know what the previous engagement was? The prayer meeting in his local church. You think of the honor. You think, men and women, of the, the blessing or the, the opportunity that that was to that young fellow to be drawn to the attention of the governor, to bring the welcome address. And the reason why he decided to go to the prayer meeting instead of giving that address was this. As a young man setting out in the Christian life, like Daniel, he had purposed in his heart that come what may, Whatever else would come along, whatever other opportunities would be offered to him, he had purposed he was going to be a faithful attender at the prayer meeting in his own church. And brethren and sisters, we need people of that sort of resolve, that sort of conviction in the day in which we live. You come to the prayer meeting, and when you come to the prayer meeting, take part in the prayer meeting of the church. Pray publicly in the prayer meeting. Every one of us here tonight that pray publicly, we can identify with the difficulties, the fears, the struggles. You think, I don't pray because I could never pray as long as brother or sister so-and-so. Let me assure you, we wouldn't want you to pray as long as brother or sister so-and-so. There's two things that kill prayer, prayer meetings. One is long prayers. The other is long pauses. What we need to learn again, brothers and sisters, is the art of the short petition. If you lift your heart, name somebody in prayer, Lord, save them. They are just of offering that simple, short petition before the Lord at the throne of grace. Another way you can go forward in your prayer life is family prayers. In the days of Elijah on Mount Carmel, it says, the altar of the Lord is broken down. Is that true in your home? Is that true in your family? The altar of the Lord, the family altar, 
Is it broken down? Is it many years since the family gathered together around the Word of God to read a portion and to lift your heart to the Lord in prayer? Did you ever notice the first thing that Noah built when he came out of the ark? He didn't build a cattle house. He didn't build an enclosure for all of the animals, for all the cattle. He didn't even build a house for himself. The first thing that Noah built when he came out of the ark was an altar, a place to worship, a place to lift his heart to God, a place to pray, a place to sacrifice to the Lord. And I emphasize that to you men and women. That's should have first place, especially young people setting out in married life together. The first thing to build together is an altar, a place to read the Word of God, and a place uh, to pray. So go forward in your supplications, men and women. Let me urge this congregation, every congregation represented. Remember that the old saying that the church advances upon her knees. That's the way every congregation uh, makes progress. Can I mention to you as well that you should go forward in your service? I want to exhort you men and women to do more for the Lord this year than you did last year, than you've done in any year, any year that the Lord has given you from the day that you were saved. I would encourage you to read the life of Mr. Moody. There's so much to learn from the life and labors of D.L. Moody. Holding meetings on one occasion, whenever he went back to the hotel where he was staying, there was a man waiting there to speak to him. The man jumped to his feet when he saw Mr. Moody introduced himself. He said, Mr. Moody, I was saved at meetings that you preached at 14 years ago. Before the man could get another word out, Moody asked him this question. Listen carefully. What have you done for the Lord since? And that's the question, men and women, for every one of us here tonight. 40 years ago in that little schoolhouse, I knelt beside Dr. Paisley and Mr. Robert Lowe came to know Christ as my Savior. How long has it been since you were converted? I trust you are saved tonight. If you're not, I urge you to come to know the Lord. But the question for every one of us, men and women, uh, tonight is, what have you done for the Lord since? What have you done in the Lord's service from the day you were converted? Remember, that's the question, men and women. The Lord will ask every one of us on the day of judgment when we stand before him. On that day, the Lord will not be interested in how wealthy you became or how famous, how far up the corporate ladder you were able to climb, how successful you were in business and so on. On that day, men and women, the great question will be this. The Lord will ask every one of us, what have you done for me? He will remind you of the blessings that he bestowed upon you. He will say, I gave you life. I gave you health. I gave you breath. I gave you gifts, I gave you talents, I put money in your pocket. And the Lord will want to know how you use those things. He will say to each one of us, as we stand before him on that great day, give an account, give an account of your stewardship, of how you use those things in the furtherance of my kingdom. Remember, men and women, only one life. You've only one opportunity to serve the Lord. Only one life will soon be passed. And it is only what's done for Christ that will last. That's something that's very well known. Sometimes those things that are oft repeated, when we hear them again, they just run off us like water. But I want to impress that upon your heart tonight. 
I said to you, there's many memories as I come here this evening and see the little schoolhouse. One of, one of the meetings in that schoolhouse that left the deepest impression upon me was when Bob and Alma McAllister came to speak, the veteran missionaries to the Congo. Alma now with the Lord. Bob still lives in Armagh City in the fold there. We visit with him from time to time. He calls up, uh, gives us a little phone call from time to time with something on his mind. He was born the same day as Her Majesty the Queen, only he's a, a year older, so Bob's 94 years of age. Amen. I will never forget, men and women, never forget the night that I heard them tell the story in the schoolhouse of Ruby Gray that came from Dramara, a missionary nurse that labored with them in the Congo, of how she was murdered by the rebels in that uprising in 1964, and how they took Ruby's body and threw it to the crocodiles in the river. They went after the uprising to her little hut where she lived, and they gathered together what belongings of Ruby's that were still there, and they parceled them up and posted them back to her dear mother here in Dramara. You can imagine, well, we can only but imagine, the emotion in the mother's heart when she got that little parcel and opened up those few things of Ruby's that still remained. Amongst them was Ruby's Bible. And when Mrs. Gray opened that Bible and looked inside the front cover, there were written these words. I have only one life that I can give. And give it, she did, men and women, in the service of Christ. And I pray tonight the Lord will write that upon your heart as never before. Only one life. Only one opportunity to do something for Christ. You think of the words of the Savior to the seven churches in the book of the Revelation. Came to every one of those churches and he said, I know thy works. There was only two of those churches that the Lord could commend. There was five of the churches that the Lord had to condemn because of their carelessness, their coldness, their, their worldliness, and so on. And remember, men and women, the Lord's here tonight. Just as he was in the midst of the candlesticks then, he's in the midst of this church and your congregation as well, wherever you're from. And he says exactly the same thing to every one of us. I know thy works. The Lord knows whether you've been faithful or unfaithful. Knows what you're doing or what you're not doing, what you should be doing, what you've been careless about in the things of God. But the challenge for all of us is tonight, as he comes and says, I know thy works, does the Lord commend you for your labors? Commend your congregation? Or would he have to come with that word of condemnation? You think of David, the building of the temple uh, there in Jerusalem. He brought the challenge to God's people. Who then is willing to consecrate his service this day to the Lord? That word consecrate is the idea of filling your hands. Can I ask you men and women, each one this evening, what's your hands filled with from day to day? Do you only ever fill your hands with the things of this world? That in essence is worldliness, men and women, just to be taken up with this world and no thought of the next. So what is your hands filled with? Is your hands filled with the things of God, the great cause of winning souls, the great cause of, of missionary work, reaching out to the regions beyond? Can I ask tonight, can I put the challenge to this meeting? 
The young people gathered with us in the service. Are you willing to consecrate your service? Willing to fill your hands? Willing to consecrate your life now, uh, tonight to the service of the Master? George Whitfield, the famous American, or the famous English evangelist, George Whitfield actually died in North America. He crossed the Atlantic 13 times. He died in a place in North America called Newburyport. That's of interest uh, to us. We lived in Burryport in South Wales. But Whitfield died in Newburyport, literally preached himself to death. He had preached in the Presbyterian Church in Newburyport and maybe preached for two hours, and the people were still hungry for the word. And they followed him back to the manse when he went home that night with the minister, and they begged him to come out and preach again. And he stood on a little veranda at the manse with the word of God in one hand and a candle in the other. And he preached by candlelight to that vast congregation of people. And he preached until the candle burnt out. And then he said to the people, men and women, my candle has gone out and I really must, I really must retire for the night. Through that night he, he was very restless, suffered from asthma particularly. And at about six o'clock the next morning, the Lord called him home to be with himself. There was a dear Christian lady many years after that heard that story. She thought that the, the candle was like the life of George Whitfield. As the candle had burnt out, so had Whitfield. He had burnt out in the service of Christ. And she was inspired. She sat down and she wrote that lovely gospel hymn, Let Me Burn Out For Thee, Dear Lord. And I impress that in your hearts tonight. That should be the desire of every one of us. However long or short the time may be that the Lord gives us here on this earth, here's the thing that should consume us, that we would burn out in the service of the Lord Jesus Christ. So you go forward in your service. One other I'll mention, close connection to what we've just been speaking about our service, and that is go forward in your soul-winning efforts, brethren and sisters. We cannot save it's God alone that saves. Salvation is of the Lord. But the Lord uses instruments. It's not a great wonder that in that great task of winning souls, the Lord is pleased to give to us a part. He said to those early disciples, follow me, and I will make you to be fishers of men. He says the same to you tonight. If you follow Christ and you follow him aright, follow him as you should, as you should the result of that is that you will be a fisher of men. I don't know an awful lot about fishing. Maybe some fishermen in the meeting tonight. I do know this man and woman. He's a poor fisherman who catches no fish. And yet the reality in this church and in all our churches is that there are many Christians just like that. Remember the disciples on the Sea of Galilee? It says that they toiled all the night and they caught nothing. Is that true of you, Christian? Toiled for years, caught nothing, never led a soul to Christ. You just think of that for a moment. All the years God has given you and never won a soul, never led a soul to the Savior. Or maybe it's been a long time, so long ago that you can hardly remember when it was. Do you know, men and women, we get concerned at times in life about many things that aren't even worth being concerned about. But I tell you tonight, that's something 
you should be concerned about, deeply concerned. If in all the years that you have been a child of God, you've never won a soul to Christ. We need to go forward, men and women, in our soul winning. We need to pray uh, for a soul. That God would use you to win at least one soul. One soul to the Savior. John Hyde, the American missionary that went to India, the great man of prayer that he was, became known as Praying Hyde. Such an earnest, fervent prayer warrior that they say that he prayed his heart from one side of his body to the other. At the beginning of a new year, he determined in his heart he was going to pray the Lord would give him one soul every day. And before the year was out, over 400 souls were one under his ministry. That heartened him, and the next year he prayed the Lord would give him two souls. And before that year was out, over 800 people had come to know the Lord Jesus. Take the time to read the story yourself. So I encourage you, in the light of that men and women, pray this year. Pray this month. The Lord will use you to lead a soul uh, to the Savior. Pray before the year's over. Put the challenge to every Christian in the meeting tonight. Before the year's over, that every Christian here, that the Lord would use you to win at least one soul. And if your faith is great enough, pray the Lord would give you a soul every month before the year is over. James says, we have not because we ask not. So you ask the Lord to do that for you. Another one of the meetings I remember stands out in my mind in that little schoolhouse was after Mr. Robert Lowe passed away. What an influence he had on my early life, this community, bringing in many boys and girls, many people under the sound of the gospel. After Mr. Lowe's death, there was a memorial service held in the schoolhouse on a Sunday evening, one of those after meetings. Several people here in this service tonight were at that memorial service. I was just a young lad. Dr. Paisley came and was the preacher that night. The text that he took was this, men and women. I remember it to this day. Those words recorded of Barnabas. He was a good man, full of the Holy Ghost and of faith. And much people was added unto the Lord. That was a very apt description of Mr. Robert Lowe's life. And you know, men and women, when our lives are over, when we're dead and gone from this scene of time, is that not the way that you would want to be remembered too? A good man, a good woman full of the Holy Ghost and faith and much people added unto the Lord that you were used to win many people to Christ. Let that be your burden. Let that be your desire. You're familiar, I'm sure, with the name of Willie Mullen, the great Baptist Bible teacher, ministered in Lurgan for many years. Before that, he was in Orangefield in Belfast. Read the book, Tramp After God. There's a chapter in that book all about what was known then as a as a tape ministry. Some of the young people hardly know what a cassette tape is. Those tapes went out all around the world. Young fellow from Belfast one time was in New Zealand. The pastor got to know there was a visitor there from Belfast and he asked him to come up and to give a brief word of testimony. The young fellow said, I was saved under the ministry of a man called Willie Mullen. Have you ever heard of him? The people laughed. He was taken back a little. He turned to the pastor and he said, why did the people laugh when I mentioned the name of Pastor Willie Mullen? There was 400 people in that service. The pastor got up and he said, would, 
Everyone in this meeting that was converted under the ministry of Pastor Mullen, please stand to your feet. And something like half of the congregation rose. 200 people. Soul winners, then women. Taking that another step, we need to go forward as well in our burden for souls. May the Lord give to us all a greater burden of winning the lost. Just take a moment and ponder this. Out there, across the face of the earth tonight, there's something like seven and a half billion souls. The population of this world now is in excess of seven and a half billion. It's not hard to comprehend, hard to take it in. We sometimes sing the little chorus, untold millions are still untold. Well, the fact is untold billions are still untold in darkness, spiritual darkness. Hudson Taylor, the founder of the China Inland Mission, 150 years ago when he took up his labors in China, he used to stay or used to speak about a million a month. Do you know what he meant by that, men and women? Way back then. A million Chinese people every month were dying without Christ as their Savior. And that weighed heavily upon his heart. How, how greatly increased those numbers must be today. Do you know there's one thing as Christians we should never get used to? It's the thought of a soul going to hell. The thought of somebody dying without Christ as their Savior. William Chalmers Burns, he labored with Hudson Taylor. It was Chalmers Burns that preached in McShane's pulpit in Dundee when he was part of the Church of Scotland delegation that went to investigate missionary activity out there in Palestine. At the same time, uh, Mr. McLaughlin talked a little earlier about Horatius Spafford. Uh, that was a little later on. But he went out as part of that delegation. And Chalmers Burns preached in his pulpit and revival came. Whenever Chalmers Burns was a lad, maybe about 13 or 14, his mother took him to Glasgow on a busy market day. They were walking down the street and she looked round and he was gone. You can imagine how anxious she was for a few minutes looking for her boy. Amongst that vast crowd of people, she found him standing down a side alley and the tears were streaming down his face and she said to him in her Scottish accent, What ails you, laddie? He said, Mother, the tramp of these Christless feet on the road to a Christless eternity is almost breaking my heart. Is it any wonder the Lord took him up, used him in such a mighty way, men and women? Can I ask you tonight, you go to town, maybe you'll go to town tomorrow, do a wee bit of shopping, the crowds of people all around you. Sometimes we get annoyed and we get frustrated at the crowds. We can't get on the way we want. Do you ever give a th thought for those people that are passing you by? A thought for their souls and where they're racing to, where they're hastening to, men and women. Paul could say in the book of Romans, I have a great heaviness. If ever there's a verse in the Bible that talks about a burden for souls, that's it. 
I have a great heaviness. Do you have it tonight? Anything like it? Anything that resembles it? So here, men and women, are some key areas where we as God's people, where every church and every Christian needs to focus and needs to advance. Go forward in your supplications. Go forward in your service. Go forward in your soul-winning efforts. I'll finish with this, men and women. There's a story of Napoleon, the great French general. He was engaged in a battle on one occasion. What happened was the battle was going against him. So his little fellow that stood beside him, a young, a young man, a little drummer boy, that's how the commands and the signals were sent out to the troops on the battlefield, the different sounds of the drum. So he turned to this little drummer boy and he said, Beat a retreat, laddie, beat a retreat. Well, the young fellow looked back up at him in amazement. He said, sir, he wasn't long on the job, you see. You never ever taught me to beat a retreat. You only ever taught me to beat a charge. So Napoleon looked back at him in consternation. Didn't know what he was going to do or what he was going to say. So he thought about it for a moment and then he said, well then, laddie, beat a charge then, beat a charge. And that's what he did. And it, t- it turned what seemed like defeat into victory. And I want you to know, men and women, I pray that you'll see this tonight as never before. The Lord never ever taught us to beat a retreat. Never. It never has been. And it never will be God's will for us to go back. To turn back as the men of Ephraim did armed in the day of battle. That, that never has been, never will be God's will for us. So as you look out upon our land today with all the challenges, with all the darkness, with all the wickedness, the tide of evil coming in around us, and you're maybe wondering and pondering in your heart what we ought to do as Christians and what we ought to do as a church, here, men and women, is the word of God to your heart tonight. You'd be in absolutely no doubt of this. God's will for us is that we go on, that we go forward in the witness and in the work of the gospel. If I could sum it up for you, In the words of that great gospel hymn that sometimes we call the battle hymn of the Republic, there's a verse in that hymn that says this, He hath sounded forth the trumpet that shall never. And I urge you, men and women, remember that the longest day you live. He hath sounded forth the trumpet that shall never call retreat. It is always and only and ever God's will for us to go on and God's will for us to go forward. So speak unto the children of Israel that they go forward. May God bless his word tonight to every heart. Thank you. We thank Reverend McMillan for this challenging message. Now we've got one more piece. Our sister Ruth Roberts is going to come and sing a final piece to us and then we'll just do the doxology and have prayer.
Let's go.